Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Well, good evening. It's good to be in the Lord's house tonight, and uh, good to be here in beautiful Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, you have got a beautiful state. I've been able to visit the west side, not been over on this side of things a lot, and uh, but it's just as beautiful on this side as it is on the west side. And uh, first time ever coming to your church, Pastor, thank you for the invitation. Uh, what is the name of the church? That's exactly right, and I'm glad to be here, too. That'll be the only time I'll even, I won't even attempt to say it because it would be, you would, you would think I was maybe speaking in an unintelligible tongue, and you would need your pastor to come up and interpret, and that would not be the way for us to start off together, right? And so, but it is a joy to be here, and let me commend you, absolutely beautiful facilities. Uh, when we when we turned into the drive, I told my wife, "Well, this is absolutely gorgeous. Your sanctuary um, is beautiful." And so um, I, I don't. I know we talked a little bit about the story of the obtaining of the property and stuff like that. I can't wait to find out more about that. Unless you and I open our Bibles tonight to the book of Exodus, chapter number twenty. Exodus chapter number twenty, and uh, we are very honored and excited about the prospect of being with you for a few days. In what we originally talked about as a family slash marriage conference type uh, of event, and so we're we're thankful for that. Been we've been praying about the meeting ever since your pastor booked us to come, and uh, we just really believe that anytime we can gather and open the word of the Lord and open our hearts to the word, that we have an opportunity to to glean, to grow, and uh, to let God change us. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm still a work in progress still being molded into the image of, of the Lord Jesus. And uh, every time we open this word, we know there's an opportunity for some more of that work to take place. And so we're excited about that tonight. I look forward to getting to know you more personally as the days go, go on. And uh, we'll see what God will do with us this week. We're in Exodus chapter number 20. And you may be thinking tonight, what kind of passage could possibly be uh, be in front of us tonight uh, to, to start off a marriage or family conference. And I know tonight, Pastor, you said we didn't have to necessarily be in that vein, but, but my heart's in that vein tonight, and I feel led to start here, so we're going to see what the Lord will do for us. Exodus 20, look in verse number 1. For those of you that have been saved or in church very long at all, you know we're, we're getting ready to read through what is referred to biblically as the Ten Commandments. And so the Bible says in verse number 1 of Exodus 20, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice he starts off, before he ever gives a commandment, he reminds them of how good he had been to them, what he had done for them. He's really conditioning the conversation. And and then he goes in verse number 3 and begins to give out what is generally referred to as those Ten Commandments. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thy labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor, he said, thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now we understand that the Ten Commandments are a set of guidelines that were put in place 
for the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. The Lord had basically, if you really look back in your Bible, the relationship between them started uh, with a covenant between God and one man. That man was Abraham back in Genesis chapter number 12. Now, we're, we are now hundreds of years later into the relationship, and we find God laying out some ground rules for this relationship as it moves forward. He has rescued them from Egyptian slavery and looking forward to taking them into the promised land. But before we can get there, we've got to have some rules. And can I say that when it comes to family bliss, happiness in the home, things like that, there's got to be some rules. There are some things that need to be laid down. And I believe tonight what we can do is we can look at the relationship between God and the nation and just ten simple commands He gave them to govern their relationship. And we can find in principle things that laterally apply to the relationship between the husband and wife. And that's what we're going to do tonight with the help of the Lord. I've entitled tonight's message simply this, The Ten Commandments of a Successful Relationship. The Ten Commandments of a Successful Relationship relationship. And as we walk through and look at the, what God was trying to accomplish in his uh, rule for the relationship between him and the nation, you'll find out those are the same applicable principles that would work inside of a good, healthy marriage. So let's ask the Lord to help us tonight as we preach through the Ten Commandments of a successful relationship. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We want to thank you, Lord, for already answering prayers today. God, how that you have given us safety on the roads, we thank you for that. Lord, as far as we know, you've answered the prayer of keeping our children safe back home. And God, we're so very thankful for that. Lord, tonight we are here and we have one purpose, that is to meet with you and your people. And Lord, as we've opened your word tonight, we ask you that you would hide us behind the cross, that you would give us great clarity of mind and of speech. And Lord, as we preach the word tonight, I pray, God, that you would help us to communicate the truths that are in this word well. Open our hearts. Folks are no doubt tired. They've been busy all week long. For the next few days, we need your power and your presence, Lord, to do a work in our lives. I pray you would do that. And when you do, we will give you alone the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen and amen. Relationships have rules. Whether they be spoken rules, like maybe at your home, don't leave your shoes in the kitchen. Sometimes that can be a spoken rule. Or there may be an unspoken rule in your relationship like you better not forget our anniversary. And there are some rules that are made clear. There are some that maybe are just kind of assumed along the way. And the first relationship in the Bible had rules. At least it had one rule. If you'll remember correctly in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Bible says the Lord God took the man, referring to Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden... Thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So in the very first relationship between God and man, we realized there was a rule. Only one, but we also knew that, know that that rule was not kept very well, right? They, they broke that rule, and a lot of the sorrow and suffering and pain that we experience today was because of broken rules. Can I say this right here uh, this evening? We know that whenever rules are broken, there's a lot of heartache that follows. And as we walk through these 10 different commandments tonight and look at the relational principles that lie in them, we will find that whenever these rules are understood and kept, it brings a peace and a healthiness to the relationships that do that. And then you're also going to be able to reflect tonight and understand this. Whenever these relational rules that God lays out in Exodus 20 between him and the nation of Israel are broken, it brings much suffering, heartache, and pain. Because of that tonight, we want to just kind of work our way through one by one. I'll try to give you some notes, things you can jot down, and hopefully tonight the Lord will help us in our hearts. What are these Ten Commandments of a successful relationship? Well, starting there in verse number 3 where the Lord lays down the first commandment. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. And here would be the commandment in a relationship between two people. The commandment would be this, I need to be at the front of the line. The Lord said this to the nation, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now you've got to remember this, He is bringing them out of an Egyptian culture where they had been exposed to a pluralism of gods. In other words, while down in Egypt, they saw all the different gods that the Egyptians would worship. So whenever He brings them out, He tells them, listen now, I'm going to be the only God in your life. I don't want you to have any other gods 
before me, I need to be number one. Now, relationally, here's what you and I know about that. He would go on in verse number uh, verse number one, three, excuse me there, where he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And can I say this tonight, that, that, that our mates should never question their place in our life. Our spouses should never, for those of you that are younger, you'll find this out uh, whenever you do get married one day, that uh, your, your spouse is going to really need to feel like and be made to take a place of, of prominence in your life. They need to be uh, really at the front of the line. We understand our relationship with God always comes first, but right under that really should be your spouse. And so he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I will say this right here when it comes to our lives. These are some things that sometimes take the priority or place of our spouse, but they never should. First of all, our career, our job should never take the, the, the prominence in our life. They should never become more important to us, and our, our spouse should never feel like we put our careers or our jobs in front of them. You say, well, I have to work to provide for my family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying this, that it's easy sometimes to become so career-oriented that you begin to chase promotion. Maybe you begin to chase, I guess you could say, financial gain at the expense of your marriage. And so your spouse starts taking a back seat to those internal desires. And there's nothing wrong with being motivated. Matter of fact, I believe our society could use some motivation, especially in the arena of work. But I want to say this, we've got to keep our perspectives right. What good is it to make all the money and have all the promotion if you lose the most important thing in your life, which should be your marriage outside of your walk with the Lord? So we have to be careful that our careers do not cause our spouse to take a back seat. Not only that, but our hobbies. Y'all may not suffer from this up here, but down back, that back where I'm from, North Carolina, uh, it's, it's deer season almost, and so... Uh, I pick with our men in our church. I say, you know, deer season in the south, and it may be that way up here as well, is the only time in, in, in the, of the year where you can ride down the road at 4, 35 o'clock in the morning and see pickup trucks parked all along the side of the road because the guys will park their truck, walk into their deer stands. I said, now what would happen, fellas, if the pastor called for a 5 o'clock prayer meeting on a Saturday morning? And people look at me like, well, we ain't coming. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a problem because, you know, I mean, we're not going to call for a five o'clock prayer meeting because we do want people to come. But if you can get up and go sitting in a deer stand on a cold morning because of your love for that hobby, but you wouldn't come to the church where it's warm and we serve coffee to have a, you know, an hour prayer meeting, then there's a priority problem there. Can I say it's so very easy for our hobbies to even uh, take, take the precedence in our marriages and start coming before our spouses? I mean, we do work hard. Uh, all week long. And I don't know about you, but boy, sometimes on the weekends or maybe on a Saturday, you know, I'd love to grab a little R&R, &R, maybe go grab the golf clubs and go out to the course. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Don't get wrong what I'm saying. But if I've not seen my family all week long and I hadn't been on a date with my wife in three weeks, then I should take that money I was going to pay to go play golf, take her out for a meal, right? Spend some time with her and work on my marriage before I try to lower my handicap, which is handicapped. And my golf game is I mean, it's like something that is dead and needs resurrecting, but it's hopeless, okay? Don't even pray about it. So we should be careful about that. I'm going to hit one now that's going to be a little bit close to the heart, but it causes a lot of trouble when it comes to prioritizing, making sure your spouse is, is first place in your life. You've got to be careful that when you have kids, if you have kids, that they don't start taking that place. Now, the first two, usually people are not as apt to be as guilty about that, but that, those children, because here's what happens so many times in our marriages, and I don't necessarily think we mean to make this mistake, but we do nonetheless. A lot of times whenever kids come into our marriages, if we're not careful, one party or both party can begin to make it all about the children. And what we have to realize is that those children are a gift from the Lord. God gave them to us to enjoy. God gave them to us to nurture and raise them. As the psalmist said, we want to, like arrows, shoot them back out into the cause of Christ and allow them to be, uh, I guess you could say, instruments for his purpose. But we have to be careful because if we, in 18 to 20 years, make it all about the kids, when they find someone to, to do what's natural, which is to marry and start their own life, then we won't have a marriage anymore because we will have been roommates for 15 or 20 years. It's so easy to pour all of our energy and effort in, in, into them. And, and, and you understand, hopefully, what I'm trying to say Though you hadn't known me but 10 minutes, so how could you? But anyway, what I mean is this. Me and my wife, and I didn't introduce her tonight, not because I wanted to be rude, but because she does not like attention. And, uh, but I brought with me tonight the love of my life. You know, she was picking on me getting on the elevator. She said, I said, thank you for coming. She said, well, if I didn't, you probably wouldn't get an invitation. I mean, who wants to hear from a guy whose wife won't go anywhere with him, right? And uh, I said, well, you're right, so thank you again. And uh, we have five children, and uh, we have, uh, it's been some of the greatest joy of our life 
to have them and raise them. But here's where our kids are getting older now. And so we're, we're marrying the idea, trying to marry it to soften the blow, that it's not going to probably be long before some of the older ones start starting their own life, getting married and moving. And that's very natural, God-ordained. But we said this to each other 10, 12, 15 years ago. When they do that, we don't want to have to start over. We do not want to have put them in front of each other for so long that we don't know each other. We have to start from scratch and rebuild a relationship. No, we want to be able to just keep going because we kept each other in the proper place of being number one in our lives along the way. And then sometimes, and this one can be a little touchy around church culture, but that's okay. Sometimes if it's not the career and the hobbies and the children that start taking a precedence over your spouse, sometimes it's the in-laws. When we left, we didn't cleft. Or leave and cleave, as the Bible would say. Again, I say it's, it's, it causes a lot of problems. Nobody wants to get married and feel like they take a back seat to the in-laws. They don't want to feel like they take a back seat to the children, the career, the hobbies. And so God said, look, uh, Israel, our relationship is going to work fine as long as you don't start putting other gods before me. I want to be number one in your life. I, I, the Bible teaches us our God is a jealous God. In other words, because of his love for his people, he wants to be number one. He's got the right to be number one. He's been so good to us. And can I say this, that our spouses have the right to be number one in our lives. And so that's the first commandment. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Secondarily, the thing, the, the principle, the commandment that God laid out for the nation was this, and listen closely because I have, it relates to marriage. Do not try to make me what I am not. Watch what he says in verses 4 and 5. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. There he is, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In other words, what God was saying was this, in your attempt to, to know me, to worship me, to serve me, to follow me, don't suppose what I ought to be and make an image, attribute it to me and then worship it. And can I say for you and I that after we get married, we have to be very, very careful with our spouses that we don't try to compare or insinuate that our mate should be someone or something that they are not. We married them. And hopefully it was out of a free will. So you've made the choice and you said, I do. So therefore, be happy with what you're getting and then learn how to continue to be happy with it as the years go by. Now, those who have been married for any length of time will we'll tell those of you that are younger that there's going to come a time in your life where you most likely don't look exactly the way you looked on the wedding day. That is a reality. All right. That's why we say vows when we get married, like for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. We probably should say something like this, with or without hair, gray or colored, real teeth or dentures. We're going to stay together either way you look at it, right? But we don't say things like that in our vow, but that is the reality because if we get married and we stay together, which is what God would like for it to happen in our lives, that we are going to change. It's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. Um, we, you know, you have pictures and things made and, and, and things like that throughout your life. You know, time changes us all. And, and we, have, we live in a culture that's infatuated with physical appearance. And, and it can really put an unnecessary strain on the marriage. You have to have realistic expectations of what life's going to be like. Uh, for us in our marriage, you know, we, uh, we have five children. Of course, my wife did all the heavy lifting. And, and she looks like she did when we got married. And I didn't have no kids, and, 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 and I look like, yeah, you know, that guy don't look like he did in the wedding picture. She looks like she did in the wedding picture. And uh, she had all the kids, and I kept the 50 pounds. Go figure, right? <laughs> and here I am getting ready to turn 46 in December if the Lord lets me live that long. And, I mean, you know, man, I'm eating stuff I don't want to eat, and I'm, I'm trying to exercise and everything else. And, and she, you know, we, make, we have pictures made, and people make jokes like, well, you know, where's the wife? Where's the, where's the mom? Where, she, looks like you got uh, four daughters. Well, I only have three. I'm like, yeah, real funny, real funny. Nobody has ever said in a family picture, man, you look young. <laughs> Not to me. But to her, that happens all the time. Okay, so she's done really good. It got good genes, whatever the case may be. And I'm glad that she is not trying to make me what I'm not. It tries to help me stay healthy and things like that. But I, I'll just say this right here. 
She's done great up to this stage of her life and probably because her genetics will continue to do well. But if we live long enough, we're all going to change. And can I say this right here? Our, our spouses don't need to be made to feel like that as that happens in my life, that either you're going to love me less or I'm going to have to compete with a culture that's cheating. You do realize that we live in the day of the airbrushed or the photoshopped pictures, right? And not only that, but I mean, nowadays they, I, I didn't know this to my girls, I guess showed it to me or taught it to me, but now you take a picture of yourself and then you pick which filter you want to post it in or whatever. They, and I'm like, well, that ain't even fair. Nobody's that tanned year round, you know? I mean, you can, you know, trim off here and put stuff. I need some stuff back here that's leaving. Yeah, I mean, you can do all that with just a touch of a button. I'm like, back in the day when you had a picture, mate, what you saw is what you were, right? I'm just saying it's just more and more of, 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 a, of a reality that our culture is just absolutely obsessed with physical appearance. But we're real people. We live a real life. Our bodies change. Because of that, sometimes there's a lot of things health-related that may be complete. I didn't choose to start losing my hair. I really like hair. I remember the days whenever, I mean, I had to get a haircut every week. I don't have to get a haircut every week now. I can stretch it out. It saves me money. I'd rather have to pay, okay? <laughs> but trust me, I didn't choose this. This is happening naturally. It's genetics that runs in my family. But you know what? I'm glad my wife didn't expect me to look like Samson or Fabio because that's not the guy she married, okay? All I'm saying is this is that the Lord told the nation of Israel, look, uh, I'm your God. I want to be number one, and don't try to make something out about what you think I ought to be and worship that. Just love me for who I am. And can I say this? Our marriages need that kind of stability in them. When they begin, they need that, and then they need that to last till death do us part. Number three, if you're taking notes, look in verse number seven. The third commandment that the Lord gave to the nation of Israel was this. Watch what he says. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. If you're taking notes and want to know what the commandment is, relationally, here's what it is. Don't talk bad about me. Now, can you imagine a God that delivered them from Egyptian bondage having to look at them and say, don't take my name in vain. But can you also imagine two people that were so in love that they were willing to walk down an aisle and commit themselves to be together till death do them part get somewhere in their marriage where they start talking bad about each other, cursing one another. I mean, this happens, and it's a reality, and it's so very sad. And can I say this right here? We have to be very, very careful. Number one, listen to me now. We shouldn't talk to or about our spouse in a way that's going to damage our relationship. You know, the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, can I tell you the truth tonight? I don't, I don't want to paint a facade of something that's not real. I am not proud of what I'm getting ready to say. I, as a man, have never one time physically laid a hand on my wife, but I have said something before that made her cry. Now, that's hard because I pick up my wife about having the heart of a serial killer. She's not one of these. She does not, she's not a, an easily emotionally moved lady. But I've said stuff before that brought a tear to her eye. And what happened is in a moment of, disagreement maybe i i said something that was had teeth to it i said something that hurt and later on guess what i had to do i had to go back and make that right and can i say that when it comes to relationally that we have to be very very careful we have to be careful about how we talk to each other you're not going to build a relationship with happiness if every other day you're cutting one another with your words and you're you're talking about or to each other uh, with a bunch of negativity and not only that you have to be careful in this realm too not only should you not talk to your spouse in a negative way, you should not talk about your spouse in a negative way. A lot of times, here's what people do, and they don't understand the damage they do when they do it. They get married, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to figure this thing out, and you, you may go through a season of where things aren't the best, and next thing you know, you start venting to your family about your spouse, and you start venting to your friends. And what happens when you do that is, all, if all they hear is the negativity, it, start paint, it paints a picture of them, and then you start having relational problems with your in-laws or your friends have a very low opinion of your spouse. Well, what happens later on in the marriage? You hope maybe you fix that stuff and your spouse gets better and, and, and whatever. And then, but see, you've already planted bad seed over here. And so now there's problems and your, your parents maybe start 
thinking, well, maybe you're not treating my, my, my child right or whatever. And they start looking down upon your spouse and it, it creates a really rough time at the holidays whenever you visit and things like that. And so can I say this? When it comes to our relation, if we're Christian and we're, we say that we are, the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 18 that if you have been offended by your brother, that you are to go to your brother alone in, in confidence first and express that before you ever bring anybody else into it. Give them a chance to get that right. And can I say there's a reason there is a part of the marriage that's called the private life, and it should stay that way. It should stay that way unless, unless something really uh, goes awry, unless there is a physical situation, which should never happen, by the way, in a marriage, but it does, and, uh, or something of that nature. Uh, be very careful what you say, and be careful how you say things to each other. Uh, you say, well, sometimes I can't help it, I get upset, and I'm either going to say it or bust. You would be better off busting. Can I tell you why? Because if you don't say it, you never have to apologize for it. And if you don't say it, guess what? You don't hurt your spouse. It's a lot easier to get through about whatever area or issue you want to change or want to see improvement if you approach it the right way. And insulting somebody is not... Most people don't respond well to being insulted or being cut down. And so, I mean, most of us, even on our jobs, you know... We don't like to be reprimanded, but if the boss man or lady comes at it the right way, then we're more apt to receive it. But if they come at it and just dress us down in front of the whole company, we're probably going to start filling out our resume and sending it around. And can I say that in a marriage, it's not a good idea to be frivolous with your words. So the Lord told Israel, don't you talk bad about me if we're going to have a good relationship. Number four, if you're taking notes, you can write the fourth relational commandment down is this. According to verse number 8 of Exodus 20, 8, 9, and 10, that is, the commandment is, let's work hard and spend some time together. Notice what he said in verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day, he said, and keep it holy. In other words, God set aside that Sabbath day was going to be a day of rest. He wanted the people of God to rest and spend time with him every day. I mean, excuse me, every week, one day a week. Then in verses 9 and 10, he says this, Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it, he said, thou shalt do no work, thy thy son, thy daughter, manservant, maidservant, nor thy cattle, thy stranger that is within thy gates. Here's what you and I know about the Sabbath day. Sabbath day was a day of rest, and it was also a day of worship. It was for the people to not work and also be able to worship the Father, the Lord, the one they were in relationship with. And you know, worship in reality, if you really want to boil down to what it really is, worship is just adoration. It's when you adore somebody or something. That's what worship is. Usually it's some kind of expression of what you adore. And, and I got a question. What would our marriages look like? What would our families look like if between a husband and wife, they knew there was an adoration for each other from each other? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be appreciated than not. I would rather know that my wife loved me than not, thought a lot of me than not, right? Every, I, mean, I mean, if you had to choose between the two, do you want to be insulted or adored? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm signing up for the latter. Adored, right? And so the Lord said, here's what we want to do. He said, in this relationship between us, six days work, the seventh day, I want you to rest and worship. Now, here's how that relates, here's how that relates in our marriages, Okay. First of all, understand this, that inside of a marriage, it takes two people working hard together to build one. If only one person in the marriage is carrying the majority of the weight, over time, that's going to wear them thin. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. And we have, a lot, we have several young folks here tonight. That's always encouraging. But for us moms and dads, let me say this. The worst thing we can ever do is raise our children and let them get older and be so dependent upon us that they're not ready to leave and live an adult life. In other words, the worst thing for a mother to ever do to a young lady who her son is marrying is turn over an invalid. A guy that don't know how to put his shoes in the closet, his dirty clothes in the hamper, don't know that the sink in the kitchen actually runs water. Don't know how to load a dishwasher. Don't know how to iron a shirt, right? That's that, you know, all you're doing is, because most of the young girls, if they're smart, they're wanting to marry a life partner. They don't want to become his mom and then have to mom the children that come in to the marriage later. I'm just saying 
that, that there's got to be some work involved here, right? And uh, basically, in a nutshell, we learned this right here, that one of our main purposes in marriage is to help each other with the work. If you go back and look in Genesis 2.15, you find God plants the garden, puts Adam there to dress it and keep it. That's the work. And then in verse 18 of the same chapter, he gives him Eve to be a help meet. That didn't mean, it mean, meant, mean that Eve come on the scene to do the work for him. That meant Eve come on so they could help each other do the work. We have tried to teach our children from the very early stages of their life. In our house, there's not men's work and women's work. There's just work. And we're going to get it done together. Right? And so understand that God said, first of all, let's work hard. For six days of your week, I want you to work hard work. And our culture is losing that. I feel so sorry for the next generation. They're losing the, the, the value of hard work ethic. I mean, that is so important. And uh, in, in, in even your family and marital life, working hard to have something, building a life together. But then, listen now, he said on that seventh day, he said, he said you got to come apart and rest a while. You heard the old cliche, if we don't learn to come apart, we'll come apart. And can I say this, that while you're building your life together and while six days you're working to do that, be careful that it doesn't become a seven-day cycle and all you do is work all the time and you never take time for each other. Here's what God knew. If he didn't make Israel stop one day a week, they wouldn't. Because the heart of man can become infatuated with work because work usually leads to prosperity and it is ingrained in our fallen nature to want to prosper and so therefore, God said, listen, I want you to work hard for six days, but that seventh day is a day where I'm going to make sure you don't. And I want you to rest, and I want you to adore me. What would happen in our marriages if we tried? And I understand it don't always work this way. What if we said, okay, we're going to set aside one night a week and have a date night? Now, when I talk about dating, most of us think about, well, we done that when we was young before we got married. We married now, we're just going to come home and sit on the couch. And get, just get old. You know, pay bills and get old and hurt and get out being gay. Eh, wonderful. What if that's, if that's your thing? Have at it. But I, I don't know too many ladies, especially that, that it, it, when kids are in the home and small. And I mean, most time, if a lady's working out in the secular society, she works out there and comes home work too. And if she's working at home, or she, if she's able to, she does decide to stay at home, raise her children, then she works from daylight to dark. It's just, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of work that goes into raising a family. I don't know of many that would not love one night to not have to cook and clean up. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that we have enjoyed as our kids have gotten older is to be able to, you know, we, didn't, we couldn't do it as much when they were all, you know, running around our kneecaps. But as they got older, to every once in a while, take a night to go out and sit down and have adult conversation, you know, and not have to get, you know, used to, y'all, please don't think about them. You just met me 30 minutes ago now. When we first, when we first, when we had all those kids, you know, we would go out to eat very rarely. But, you know, you get out and you got, you got two that, you know, you're kind of clamping onto and you got car seats and, you know, you're kind of getting inside. And, you know, you get everybody set up in these chairs and, you know, you get everything ordered. And it's just like a, it's like a big event to go out and get in the car and leave, you know. And when you get to where you can just say, all right, y'all, come on. And they all get up from the table and walk to the, that's a good time right there. I mean, we, we, when we finally got rid of the last car seat and the diaper bag, we almost had a party. I was like, man, I, oh, man, I love them kids. I love them so much. But, man, oh, kiss that stage there goodbye. Let's move on to, you know, a little more independence here. That's just, the, now, my wife didn't feel the same. She, we, we would have had a much larger family had I been willing and I was not willing. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I love my, I love my kids and I love my wife. But I said, you know, somebody got to help. Somebody got to pay for this. And I was the guy in the mirror. And so I said, I just, I just, I don't know if my face big enough. So I said, you got till I'm 30, and after that, it'll have to be an immaculate conception. <laughs> but the Lord is good. I'm so very thankful for that. So we got to work hard, but we got to spend some time together. I mean, if you're going to build a life, it's going to take hard work. If you're going to have anything, it's going to take hard work. But don't work so hard you forget to spend time together. God knew if He allowed that in the nation, it would absolutely destroy his relationship with the people that he loved. Number five, I'm moving quickly. We're almost finished, okay? The next thing the Lord tells them in verse number 12, as far as a command, is he says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth. Here is the commandment in marriage. Respect our families. You're marrying each other, but you're coming from, 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 from other families. Can I say one of, the, one, of the most, one of the worst things you can ever do in your marriage is not be respectful toward your in-laws. 
the person you married, listen to me closely, that's still their mom and dad. And so if you, for some odd reason, have some kind of something about that that you don't like and you start talking negatively about them and, and all you're doing is hurting your spouse, you're really only making your marriage worse. And I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I'm not, I'm not always been the best son-in-law in the world and I've not always had the right perspective on it. But I think, you know, as I grow in the Lord, I think, man, if I can help somebody else not make the same mistakes that I've made, and I don't even know that I completely understand why it seems so common for, I know some of the reasons, but I don't know why it's so common for our kids to get married or kids, you know, start their own life and then there seems to be tension between some, and that shouldn't be that way. God didn't design it to be. I understand everybody's got to stay in their lane and know their role and play that role well. But one thing I tried to marry the older I've gotten is this right here, that there's a lot of stuff that I can overlook and just keep my mouth shut about and not worry about. Does that make sense? But more importantly, that's my, mom, that's my wife's mother and she loves her mom. So why would I hurt her and hurt us by not respecting her mother? I probably just messed the whole meeting up, didn't I? I'm so sorry. I tend to do that sometimes. But it, he, he did say we were supposed to honor our parents. And you know what? When we became a family, my wife and I, then I have as much of a responsibility to honor her mother as she does. And she has responsibility to honor mine because she and I are now one. And God looks at us in that fashion. And so the Lord said, listen now, I want you to respect your parents because respecting them brought him honor. And can I say that when it comes relationally, if we respect each other's families, it's going to make our marriage a lot better. You know what's going to happen most of the time in the, in the course of life? Listen to me closely. It don't always happen this way, but most of the time, naturally, we bury our parents. Now, here's one thing we don't think about when we're young and a little bit haughty. We don't think about that when that time comes and your spouse is heartbroken and grieving over the loss of a mother or father, that if, when you're there, you should be in a comforting role. If in the back of their mind, they're thinking the whole time my parent was living, all you did was talk bad about them and mistreated them. Now listen to me now. I bet they would think that, though. What if, what if, what if their, their parents' arch-adversary or enemy walked in the funeral home, somebody who had, had nothing but an adversarial relationship with them their whole life? They would probably be like, what are you doing here? You didn't love my mom or my dad. Get out of here. I don't want you, I don't want you here while I'm grieving. Well, you don't want to be that person in the marital relationship whenever your spouse has lost a parent and they're heartbroken. You don't want to, when you should be able to comfort, not be able to because in their heart they're battling I wish you wouldn't have said some of the things you said. I wish you wouldn't have made it hard for me to go around. I wish you would not have made my parents not feel welcome at our house. Am I making connection tonight? This is a reality that really happens, and it shouldn't. We have to stop that if we're going to build strong relationships inside of our homes. Number six, here's a, the, the sixth one. In verse 13, the Lord told the nation of Israel, Thou shalt not kill. Relationally, here's what you and I have to do if, it's going to, if we're going to keep our marriages strong. We've got to keep hatred out of our heart. See, you hate in your heart before you ever take a life, okay? And can I say this in our marriages? We're not always going to see eye to eye, but we have to really protect our hearts from getting bitter. That's why you got to be careful your words, your actions, make sure you prioritize each other, make each other feel important, things like that. But the Bible says in 1 John three fifteen, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, okay? And can I say tonight that murder can be achieved without taking a life? Because in the New Testament, if you have hate, you're guilty of that. There's a reason over in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says this, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why would God put that in there unless it was possible for a man to, to not love his wife the way he should and also to have bitterness toward his wife? See, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're a little too frivolous sometimes with the way we mistreat each other. It's almost like we say, well, we've gotten married and we're both Christians, so we know we're supposed to stick this thing out and you've got a ring on your finger, and so therefore you're going to stay with me regardless, so it don't matter how I treat you. That's a bad attitude. And it's going to lead to a really a lot of unhappy years. No, if you really want to get technical about it, we should cherish each other and look at every stage of life we live through like this. If I handle this correctly, I'm going to strengthen our marriage and we'll grow old together and not just be tolerating each other, but be enjoying the journey. I don't know about you, but life is already so short. I really would love some happiness the whole way through. 
Now, I don't mind if you want to live in misery. That's up to you. But me personally, oh man, I want to, that little, I, told, I tell our churches all the time, there's two places on this earth I want to be a little piece of heaven, where I go to church at and where I live. I don't want a bunch of fussing and fighting and, and, and hardship and hard-heartedness and bitterness. And, no, 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 no. I want those two. I mean, I want to have a refuge from this world we're living in. It's saturated with sin and sorrow and pain. And I want those two places to be sweet. Well, i got to do things to make it that way. And one of them is to make sure. You say, after all these years, have you and your wife had disagreements? Yes. And every time she has owned being wrong, I have said, you're forgiven. That was a joke. Just picking. It was a bad one and it didn't go over well. Some of y'all got that, okay? No, we have. And to be honest with you, I've probably been wrong a lot of the times. We've not always seen eye to eye. I got, I got one back. That was a ching I pulled the slot, okay? I don't, I don't really do that. That was, just a, that was another joke. It was probably a bad, bad joke, okay? Um, but, but yeah, we have disagreements. And when we do, we've, we've learned that, you know, you don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and, and more than anything, you talk about it because... If you let it sit, soak, and sour, it'll build bitterness. And next thing you know, there's a wedge between you. And there's a reason why, listen, for those of you that are young and married, listen, there's a reason why people that have been married 30, 40 years sometimes don't make it. If you let the hatred get there and stay for years and you never deal with it, you never talk about it, you never make restitution, and you never say you're sorry, then hatred can set in. And if it sets in, it's, it's almost like an internal cancer. It can eat you alive. And so the Lord said, look, there can't be hatred in your heart. Y'all shall not kill. Number seven, he said this, thou shall not commit adultery. That simply means this right here in our marriages. We've got to stay faithful to each other. we really got to stay faithful. Okay? That's why young folks, you have to understand that, that getting married is, I, I'll say this, outside of getting saved, the greatest experience of my life has been being married. I absolutely love being married. But it's a big responsibility and it's a big commitment. Okay? But when you say I do, God says, well, here's what, what I want from you. I want total, I want total, total dedication to that individual. Now, I'll say just some light things here. Adultery can be multifaceted. In the Bible, it can be spiritual, physical, mental, or emotional. Okay? Now, we know this, that God created us chemically and everything else to desire one another. So we do not want to play games in that area. Because playing a game in that area is playing Russian roulette. You do not want to push your marriage or your spouse out because of neglect. And I'm just going to leave that right there in a room of mixed company. That's enough for us to understand. But I also want to say this. We have to be very, very careful because biblically speaking in the New Testament, adultery takes place in the heart for whatever takes place with the hands. And here's why we don't want to play marital games and punish each other when we're not happy and use the physical side of our marriages to do it. Because if we do, the adversary is always lurking and looking for a way to destroy the marriage. You can look in 1 Corinthians 7 and see he watches our marriages. And when he sees a weak spot in that arena especially, he pounces. Now... The reason we don't want to is because if we do that, what happens is this. As the adversary is working on our mind and we're going through whatever season of life that is, next thing you know, you find yourself maybe frequenting the same location, a gas station, a restaurant, whatever, and there just happens to be someone there of the opposite gender that's nice to you. And the adversary makes sure that kind of person is in the way when our marriages are going through a rough spot. And so what happens is this. Next thing you know, they're kind to you. You stop back by two days later, they're kind to you again. And you're liking this treatment because you're, it's not what you get at home. And it's from the opposite gender. And when there's already trouble brewing, next thing you know, a process starts. And before you know it, you're planning your next visit to that location where that other person is that treats you a lot better than your spouse treats you. And then a downward spiral can take place. And if we're not careful, that's how we end up taking what is mental and emotional and turning it into something physical. And the Lord said, listen, you have to keep yourself dedicated and committed. So we have to be very careful with that. Let me give you a, another one, okay? Go to look in verse number 15, and I'm moving along quickly. I'm almost finished. Thank you for staying with me tonight. In verse 15, he lays down this commandment between the nation. He says, thou shalt not steal. In other words, in our marriages, though, it looks like this. Whatever you want, you need to earn it. If you take something that you hadn't earned, what is it? It's stealing. And so can I say this? Getting married 
it's, it's not, if you really think about it, it's not the recipe for happiness or bliss. you got two sinners. <laughs> and they're going to commit to love each other and be understanding and live together for the rest of their life. They're bringing all that sinful baggage of their, you know, their thoughts. And that's not a rest. But here's where God can make it work. When you get married, if you're a taker, I promise you this, you're most likely going to have trouble. You'll either have trouble or your spouse will live silently in a prison of unhappiness. Marriage is not designed to take, take, take. Marriage is actually designed to give. Now, let me tell you how. You said, well, what about what I want? Just hold on, pump the brakes. If both of you in the marriage have the mentality, I love you. And I, that's exactly right. Pastor's already there. And this marriage, and this, we may get to this later on, but tomorrow or Saturday, that if you have the right biblical mentality, you, you understand this. Marriage is ministry, and ministry is serving. So when you get married, you look at that spouse you commit yourself to, and your first thought is, I need my, my need met. That is not your first thought. Your first thought is, who are you, and what are you looking for in this union that to you is happiness? And whatever that is, whatever they tell you, you make that your desire and your purpose to fulfill. Now, you ain't going to believe this. This is amazing. If you got two parties that think that way and react that way to each other, it's a recipe for happiness. But if you have one party that's going to dominate, always my way, all take, no give, that's a mess. That's, that's almost slavery. And if you got both parties like that, it ain't going to work because it's just going to be this all the time. And next thing you know, it's this. And so the Lord tells them here in the scriptures, he said, look, he said, don't steal. Don't, don't walk into a marriage and think that, don't walk in demanding and taking. Walk in saying, how can I serve you? Who are you and what do you need? Things like that. Number nine. He said in verse number 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. He's talking about slander and false. In other words, relationally, how does that play out? Here's what the principle is relationally. Don't hurt our family name. Okay? If we're going to have, I, wanna, I mean, when you get married and you're sharing the same name, we, we, te- we teach our kids this too. Um, when you go out in town, you're my child. You know, that's my name. Don't, don't, go, don't go out and act like you ain't been raised right and, and embarrass our name because that's all you really have got. The Bible says, Solomon said that a, a good name was very valuable and precious. And so we try, and I'll be honest with you, as a preacher, I don't want to embarrass my wife or my children. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, I don't want to mess up in the ministry and have my children and my wife have to wear that shame with me because of our name. So can I say this? Everything you do, Everywhere you go, the way you act, everything about you. I love the song they sung the special night about our character and, and the way we live our the example. The song was about being an example. And that's what we are. We're an example to the world of who Christ is. And, and you should say, you know what? I want my spouse to be able to be proud of me. Not to hang their head, but I don't want my children to hang their head. And so can I say this right here in our work ethic, in our family structure, in the way we love each other, the way we serve our God, things like that. Um, I, I don't want to hurt our family name. And, and neither, neither should you. you, you should, we, we have tried to teach our kids this, and you talk about making a rule that you have to live up to. Or, you know, I don't know how, if you've got multiple kids, you know, they always don't talk to each other the way they should. And I'm not talking about using curse words. I'm just talking about, you know, sometimes they get mad and they bite at one another, blah, blah, blah. So we told our kids years ago, you cannot talk to each other any differently than me and your mother talk to each other. Well, that works great until they catch you in a spirited conversation. We'll call them spirited, spirited conversation. And then like the other day, I remember what we were talking about. We were probably, we, sometimes we joke in a spirited way. And um, my, my baby daughter said, oh, well, I can now talk to my brother like that. And I was like, no, nah, you better be careful. <laughs> you know, she's like 15 years old, got a permit. And I'm like, no, nah, 15 years of an example. You ain't going to take one bad day <laughs> and use that. As your, as your new set of rules, right? Not going to have that. You know, we were picking about it. Anyway, but don't hurt your family name. Be careful. On the job, in the community. Every, 
would it, what would it be like tonight? What would it be like tonight if you knew that you found out about me sometime in the next day or two that I was down at one of your local restaurants, my wife went to the restaurant, whatever, and I was flirting with the waitress. You'd be like, I don't want to hear nothing that preacher's got to say. Right? And, and I would say, I don't blame you. But however, if that's how you would feel, how would it make her feel? What a bad, what a, to be a womanizer, what a bad testimony for a married man. I've said this for years. I should not need that ring to act like a married man. If I walked out of the house tomorrow and left that ring at home, I shouldn't change my behavior one bit. Matter of fact, um, if, if you were to be propositioned by the most beautiful woman you've ever saw in your life and you wasn't wearing it, sorry, sorry, sweetheart. I forgot it at home, but I'm all kind of taken. I'm like, I'm like real married. <laughs> real married. Amen. So don't hurt your family name. Lastly, and I'm done right here, verse 17. This is an interesting commandment. The Lord told him, he said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Here is the relational principle, and I'm done. Be happy with what you have. So many marriages struggle and have battles because we're just not happy with what we have. See, if we get married and we work hard together to build something or have something, let's be happy with what we have. But we should never, we should never make it part of our family conversation or things that are, are, are ruling our heart to where, well, they got a nicer car than we got. They live in a nicer home and they have nicer clothes and they go on better vacation. No, no, no. Don't worry about what everybody else has got or what they're doing. What about your life? You know, if, if your spouse is working hard and, and doing the best they can with either whatever education they have or their physical abilities, they should never feel like what they are isn't good enough. And he said that in a twofold way. Number one, with the person you married, he said your neighbor's wife, meaning your spouse, the worst thing you'll ever do in your life, you may even die from it, is comparing your spouse to somebody else's. Right? Especially you guys, don't, don't ever make that mistake. I want to say this, I just want to say this too. I think this has a little bearing here tonight. The people you go to church with, you always see their best. I mean, we do. We give each other our best when we come to church, you know? I'm going to put on my best. I'm going to act my best, whatever. And even in the church culture, you, can't, you would be ill-advised to ever look at someone else in the family of God and say, I wish my spouse was like that. And then to actually verbalize that to a wife or a husband. Why don't you be more like, whoa, whoa, stop. Just, that's covetous. That's covetousness. So it's from the person in your marriage to the possessions you have, the premise is this, be happy with what you got. And if you want more, work hard together to get it. And if your spouse doesn't want it, be content. There's too many passages in the Bible that says, first of all, just with food and raiment, be content. Because these lives are temporary. It ain't worth losing or destroying your marriage over things. They, they're temporal, they pass. And the Bible says that godliness or contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's great gain. So remember this, what good is it to have the nicest possessions and not have them with the person that God wanted you to have them with if you ever had them at all? So love each other and be content. Pastor, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box. 126-541 Harrisburg, Pennsylvania 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org Until next time, 